reading this evening comes from uh, Matthew chapter 15 and I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 20. You can uh, follow it up on the, uh, the wall here and I can see it on the wall there. So uh, once again it's on page 1025, Matthew chapter 15 verse 1 to 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted devoted to God. He is not to honour his his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard of this? He replied, Every plant that my my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Well, friends, uh, it is a good and a a good privilege, a wonderful honour, in fact, to bring God's word to you. As a church, for those of you who are visiting us who are new here, as a church, we're committed to the Word of God. We believe that this is how God speaks to us and continues to speak to us today. And so as a church, we're committed to expounding the Word of God systematically. So we'll work chapter by chapter, week by week. And so what that means is that God sets the agenda for what we teach and what we learn and how we are to grow. And that is a good biblical commitment that we trust that God speaks to us in that way. And so what we're doing tonight is we're moving on. We've done Matthew 14 last week. Today we'll look at the first part of Matthew 15. And so if you do have your outlines, that might be helpful. There is a full transcript as well for those of you who would like that. 
Uh, but this is God's word to us, and so let's turn to God in prayer, asking that he might help us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do continue to speak to us. You reveal yourself, your character, your glory and your ways to us. And so we pray that as we consider the person of Jesus and what he taught, teach us what we are meant to learn and teach us to go in the way we must and should. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what do you think God wants from you? What does God want from you? How would you answer that? How would you go about answering that? Well, of course, that depends on your view on God, your view of God, what you think God is like. Now, in in a book, Me Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he speaks of a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. And this was the reply of this schoolboy. He said, God was the sort of person who is always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. I mean, that is the view of God. By some people, to God, God to, to some people, God is like this big cosmic party pooper. By imposing his laws, his commandments, his rules, do this, do this, don't do that. And so God is really there to interfere with your life, your joy, your freedom. And so what does God want? Well, according to this view, God is strict. He wants strict, uptight, restrictive obedience. That's the way you are to please God. Or to some, another, another view of God, to some, God doesn't want anything from you at all. God doesn't want anything from you earthlings. I mean, if you consider God in perspective, God is so big, so majestic, so out of this world that he couldn't care less what you can offer God. I mean, you can understand why some people would think this way of God, that God is just so big, so out there, so far away, that he could care less about what we do or what we could offer. And we can understand that when we put God into perspective. Let's try that for a moment. Put the vastness of God, the glory of God, the power of God in perspective. Let's just consider the vastness of our universe. If if you, you shrink the size of Earth to the size of a golf ball, you place it on a peak of Mount Everest, the size of Mount Everest will be the size of the biggest star in our galaxy. I mean, that's a huge difference, isn't it? And what are we? We are one of seven billion specks of dust on this golf ball. And just to put that into perspective, if God made all of that, what would God care for you? What would God care what you would offer him? And then to put it into perspective again, Scientists, I don't know how they got this number, but they believe there are about 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And so if you were to count all the stars in our galaxy, one per second, it would take you over 3,000 years to count all the stars. But in the Bible, we're told God names all the stars. And so to put that into perspective, why would God care? Well, one of seven billion people on this little golf ball. Why would God care? Why would God want anything from you at all? Or to put it into another perspective, our galaxy is just one of a hundred billion galaxies there are in the universe. And if God made that, all of that, the whole universe, why would God care? And so in this view, God is far, God is powerful, but God is distant. God is impersonal. God does not bother. God does not care. God doesn't want anything from us at all. And so this is a view from some. God is like this supreme being who 
wound up the universe like this giant clock and just left it to be since the beginning. And now he sits back far away somewhere just watching. But then there's a third view. What God wants from you is that you scratch his back once in a while and he'll scratch your back. You do something good for God and God will do something good for you. It's like this bartering system with God and our job is to be involved in this cosmic bargaining with God. I'll do some good for you if you do some good for me. Now, you, you know how that goes, right? It, we, we see it, we experience it. If I offer you some sacrifice, God, if I, if I increase my giving from 8% to 9% to maybe even 10%, you should be pleased, God. If I pray to you, if I go to church, if I sing, if I worship you, I'll do that, but only if I get something out of you, only if you'll make me healthy and wealthy and wise. But, of course, this view presumes that God wants us and needs us, that God needs our praying to him to feel like God, that God needs our singing to him to feel like God. But, of course, that's not the case. I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. That's not the case. These views of God and what God wants from us are all inadequate. And that's what we'll see today in this passage. So what is it that God really wants from us, human beings? Well, let's turn to this passage. Do keep your Bibles to Matthew 15. In this passage, in this story, we meet the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law They had an idea. They thought this is what God wants from us. They had their own understanding. And they thought what God wants from us is this elaborate system of rules and traditions. Traditions which they hope showed their devotion to God, which they hope showed their commitment to God. And that's why we find here, what do they do? The Pharisees, the teachers of the Lord, they came all the way from Jerusalem. Now, for you to understand that geographically, they travelled from Jerusalem up north about 130 kilometres to where Jesus was, by the Sea of Galilee. And back then they would have travelled by horse or by foot. That's a long way to go. And they went all that way. What for? What did they do? Well, they went all that way to just have a go at Jesus, to tell off Jesus. Have a look at verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, now I wonder, reading this, whether it's meant to be a little bit amusing. After all, what has Jesus been doing? He's fed the 5,000, he's healed the disease, he's cleansed the leper, he's cast out demons, and he's even raised the dead. And the best they could come up with was, Jesus, why don't you get your disciples to wash their hands before they eat? It just sounds strange. Their concerns seem so trivial compared to what Jesus was already doing. But of course, in their mind, it was a whole lot more serious than that. You see, for a Jewish person, what God wanted from them was that they would be clean before God. Clean, not in the sense of hygiene, but ceremonially clean. Clean in their worship, clean in the sense of purity before God. And one of the ways in which they they cleansed themselves ceremonially, was to wash their hands before every meal. You see, throughout the day, just imagine Palestine, throughout the day you walk around, you might come into contact with Gentiles or some animals 
or some leopard without even knowing that. And so what that meant was that you would have become unclean. And so just to be on the safe side, according to their tradition, they set this up so that by their tradition, you have to always be clean. Cleanse yourself, wash your hands, this ritual cleansing before you eat. And it had to be done in a very specific way. I read up on this and it was just so elaborate. You had to point your fingers up and, and pour the water down and you can't touch any of the droplets that come off your hand. And then you have to do it again and fingers pointing down. It had to be so elaborate and, and so strict. And, and strict Jews would do that not only before every meal but between meals as well, between courses. And so in their minds, the Jewish people, they're going to Jesus with this serious accusation. You are breaking our traditions. You're breaking the way of life. You're breaking the way we are approachable to God. You see, they felt that their authority was being challenged, their place, their religion was being challenged by Jesus. But what was it that God wanted from them? Was it strict, uptight, tradition, law-keeping? Well, Jesus, he now makes it clear. They've charged Jesus with breaking their traditions. Jesus now gives his counter charge. He comes back to them with a higher offence. It's a bit like in the game of poker, you know. Jesus raises them. You charge me with breaking your worthless tradition. I charge you with breaking the law of God. Jesus raises them. And so we see this in verse 3. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They've done something far more serious than what they're accusing Jesus of. But of course, they might be thinking, well, what have we done? We are good law-abiding Jews. Well, Jesus now gives them an example, a clear example. He now quotes God, a commandment God gave to Moses, a commandment which they would have believed and upheld. You see that in verse 4. For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. And so Jesus is quoting the fifth commandment and the capital offence, capital punishment for those who curse their father or mother and they would have known that. So Jesus is saying, well, this is what God says. This is the law of God. But then what did they do? Well, Jesus now quotes them. Look at verse 5 and 6. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Now, now, do you understand what's happening here, what, what they're doing, what the religious leaders are doing? You see, in their elaborate system of traditions and laws, they in fact found a way to evade their responsibilities to their parents. It was really a tradition that allowed Jewish men to defraud their parents in the name of devotion to God. And so what would happen would be a bit like you know, my, my parents, they're getting old. They need help, they need financial help and I'm feeling that burden on me. I feel like they're going to spend up all my money, all that I have for my children. But you see, according to this tradition, there's this loophole. I can conveniently declare, well, too bad parents, too, dad, too bad daddy and mummy, my, my finances, my wealth, I'm declaring it that I'm devoting this to God. I'm devoting it to the temple. And so, you know, parents, dad, mum... Sorry, it's devoted to God. But you see, it was really just a loophole to weasel out of their responsibility. 
It was a fraud embedded in their traditions that breaks the law of God. And Jesus saw right through it. You you can't trick Jesus, you can't fool Jesus. Verse 6, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, you hypocrites. Jesus is getting at them. You fraudster, you pretenders, you hypocrites, you're all fake. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He now brings, it, brings up another charge. He now quotes Isaiah, one of their prophets, and he takes them down one more time. Look at verse 7 to, eight, uh, seven to 9. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their heart are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And so Jesus is really saying to them, you're no different to those fools during the time of Isaiah. It was just all heartless worship. It was all fake. It was all show. It's all pretend. What God wants from you is not this show, this outward appearance, this appearance of holiness and godliness. What God wants from you is your heart. He wants your heart, your full devotion, your sincere, faithful, genuine devotion towards God. Now, if you think about that just on a human level, what God wants here, as quoted by Isaiah, what God wants here is what we want in our relationships, isn't it? I mean, a good friendship are those that go beyond the superficial. You you stop talking about the weather, How's the weather? I mean, that's just superficial level. A good friendship is where there is the heart that is opened up, a heart that is shared, a heart that is honest, or even a good marriage. A good marriage is, is not one where it's based on rules. I'll do my duty, I'll take the bins out as a husband, I'll do the dirty job, but you, lady, you do your job. You better make sure you cook that dinner in my liking. I mean, that's not a good marriage. A good marriage is where the heart is open. There is genuine love and devotion and faithfulness to one another. There is sacrifice and giving to one another. And so what God wants from his people are not outward appearances, not all show, but the heart. And the Pharisees showed no evidence of that at all. All their religious activities, they were all in vain. Their worship was fake. And so here in this passage, God has spoken, Isaiah has spoken, now Jesus gives his own verdict. He now pronounces his own judgment on them. Now the Pharisees, hearing what Jesus taught, they were hugely offended. They they felt the challenge. They were furious. This guy's not just challenging us and our authority as Pharisees. This guy's challenging our whole religion. He's trying to turn it all upside down. And so they were angry and offended. But what did Jesus say? Well, verse 13, he says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. You see, Jesus is being a bit cryptically here, but he's saying that the Pharisees, they will be uprooted. They will be shown for what they are worth. They are worthless. They don't belong in God's kingdom. And then verse 14, Jesus goes on, Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And so Jesus is making it blatantly clear. You follow the Pharisees, you're a fool. They are blind and you will fall with them. And so leave them. Just think about it as if washing your hands a particular way will make you acceptable to God. 
And so what was happening here was massive. Jesus was overturning the whole Jewish religion and they felt that offence. And so what is it that God wants then? Well, God wants not empty, vain religious duties, but what God wants here is the humble, genuine obedience in the heart, the heart that is all for God. But you see, there's a problem that Jesus addresses here, and that's the problem. The problem is that God wants a heart that is devoted to him, faithful to him, humble towards him, dependent upon him. But that's the problem. The human heart is not like that. The human heart is not inclined towards God. The human heart is inclined towards evil. And so Jesus now explains why the Pharisees got it all so wrong. It's not the outside that defiles you, that makes you unclean before God, but it's what comes from the inside that defiles you and makes you unclean before God. It is your heart that makes you unclean. And so verses 10 and 11, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. That's the parable. And then he goes on to explain the parable. You see, Jesus is saying that the problem of the human heart is the big problem of humanity. The problem of the human heart is the problem of humanity. It's bigger and it's deeper and it's badder and it's uglier and it's more heinous than we could ever imagine. And so Jesus goes on to explain that. Verse 17, he says, Don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? It's, it's just excreted. It goes through the bowels and it makes its way out. It doesn't change your, your acceptance before God. It doesn't make you unclean in any way. It just goes out anyway. And then Jesus continues, But the things that come out of the mouth from the heart come from the heart, these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. And so what Jesus was listing there, the evilness that comes from the heart, it's really summarising the commandments, commandments 6 to 10. And then verse 20, Jesus continues, These are what makes a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. You see, you might eat food and your fingers are dirty. You've been playing in the dirt with your kids and you're playing with worms and you eat a sausage with your hands. You don't wash your hands. What might happen? Well, you might get a tummy ache. You might get diarrhoea. But it doesn't change your status before God. You see, it doesn't change whether you're acceptable or not towards God. But often, even today, we like to pass the blame. Move the blame away from our heart to something else. You know, what these Pharisees were thinking, like, it's as if eating tacos is going to give me evil thoughts. You know, the beans and the tomato and whatever else is in tacos. Or as if eating fried chicken, those big thighs, are making me inclined towards adulterous thoughts, those chickens. You see, we, we pass the blame. It sounds silly, doesn't it, what the Pharisees were doing. But there are, in fact, modern equivalents to where we blame the evil that comes from within and pass it to something else. For example, in psychoanalysis, rather than recognising that the evil behaviour is because that person is evil, 
that person has an evil heart. It's quite simple, isn't it? But in psychoanalysis, other things are blamed. It must be the upbringing. It must be the environment. It must be society, how they've influenced. And so the logic goes, if you apply this, Hitler, he was evil and tyrannical, not because he had an evil heart within him that made him do all those crazy things, but it was because he was physically abused by his father when he was growing up. The blame is moved from the heart to something else. Or you watch Law and Order CSI, the, the shows where there are scenes in the court when you can blame it on some psycho, uh, psycholo- psychological issue, then it's all okay, you've passed the blame. And so when people do evil things, not, it's not because they have an evil heart, but because it's a mix of harmful early experiences of abuse or neglect or profound anger or playing too much games like Call of Duty. That makes a person evil. Or just give them some medication, do some therapy and all be okay, the evilness will be dealt with. You see, our society has actually moved in that way where we pass the blame as well. But this is not what Jesus is saying here. It's also not to deny that upbringings influence the psychological makeup of a person. But what Jesus says here is it is the heart that is evil. What makes a person unclean, defiled, comes from within. Evilness comes from the heart and the heart is the problem. It's no wonder why Jeremiah, one of the prophets, he said of the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Isn't that a terrible indictment on on the human heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so who can understand a human heart? What can be done about the human heart? If God wants a heart in obedience to him, loving him, loyalty to him, loyal to him, what can be done if our hearts are evil? If our heart defiles us, makes us unclean, a place of corruption, idle factories, a place that is evil. Well, what does God want from you then? What does God want from us today? Well, you see, when we think about this story, there, there are three ways in which we can respond to God Three things, in a sense, we can try to give to God or not give to God. The the first is we can respond to God by trying to be more religious. I'll start doing more good things. I'll try to change with my own willpower. I'll change the makeup of my heart, my inner being. I'll try to be less greedy, less angry, less, less vengeful. I'll change with my own willpower and that should please God. I can try to be more religious. I can try to do more religious duties and activities. But then what, what has happened then if we start thinking that way? We actually end up being a bit like the Pharisees. You see, I might look like the most devoted Christian around. The most devoted Christian around. I commit to coming to church to two services a week. I commit to two. I sing With my lungs, I pray to God, I say my daily devotions, I might do all the good Christian things. But if I think that all those religious activities of mine are the basis of God's acceptance of me, then I've become a Pharisee. If my good works brings me to God, I've become a Pharisee. And what would God say? That's all empty, vain lip service. Your heart is not there. You see, in the end, it's I scratch God's back and he scratches mine. I do good and he better do good to me. 
But you see, what God wants is not religion and religious duties. That's not the basis of our approach to God. But the second way people can try to approach God is, well, we forget it all. God is fine, distant. We can just think that God won't care about what we do. Our morality does not matter. And so what I do does not matter. The decisions I make does not matter, big or small. But you see, that's not what Jesus teaches. Morality still matters. Even though you cannot please God, your heart is evil, morality still matters. Doing good and right still matters. Selfishness is never right. Greed is never right. Sexual morality is never right. Slander and gossip is never right. Morality still matters. God still wants pure, clean hearts. But then that brings us to our final point. That is, how is that possible? God wants pure, clean hearts. But Jesus says, what comes out of the heart is all evil. How is that possible? How can we be acceptable to God if that is the state of our heart? If we can try to be religious, but that won't work anyway. How can any of us be acceptable to God? Well, we don't see it in this passage yet, but we'll see it as we continue in our study in Matthew. Because what Jesus does is he goes on to do something for us. We've got a heart that cannot respond to God appropriately. But what Jesus does for us is he gives us a new heart. He changes our heart. And that's the great promise of God from the Old Testament. God knew that we cannot approach God on our own terms. God knew we cannot approach God by our own efforts. And so God made this wonderful promise in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart. Your heart is evil, it is corrupt, it cannot save you. But I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What do we need? We need God to do something. We need God to change our hearts. Our hearts are evil and wicked. We cannot do it by ourselves. You see, who can do it? A heart surgeon cannot change your heart. This is your inner being. The people around you cannot change your heart. It is only God who made you who can change your heart. And so who can change your heart? It is God. Change you from a greedy person to a generous person. Change you from a hateful person to a loving person. Change you from from a vengeful person to a forgiving person. Change you to be more like Jesus. Who can do that? Only God can. Only God can. And that is the wonderful promises as we continue to look at Matthew, what Jesus will continue to do and will do on the cross. And so what does God want from us? Well, if we think about that question, what can you give God? In a sense, you can't give God anything. Your heart is evil, but what God wants from you is to accept his solution for you, accept his saviour for you, and accept the new heart that he offers to you, that you might have a new life with him. And that's why every time you hear stories of Christians, people who become Christians, their testimonies, the story of God in their life, it's always a miracle. You sometimes hear people say, my My conversion was a bit boring. Nothing spectacular happened. It is never boring. The heart was changed. A new heart was given and the life was changed for God. 
And so this evening, if you are a Christian already, you have that new heart, praise God for it. Praise God and rejoice. But if you are not yet a Christian, you feel the weight and burden of this evil heart in you, then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you look into the problems of this world and you see the problem of the human heart. And we do praise you that you did not leave us alone, but you gave us a solution. You sent your son Jesus, who not only saved us, but gives us a new heart that we might have a new life with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.